United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky. Another big show for you today. We kick off the show with Nicole Hercules. She is the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches with a big message. We need to continue to push forward with Black Lives Matter and fight racism. Nicole Hercules will kick it off. Lynn Williams, a woman of color, the active leading goal scorer in the NWSL. She scored the winner on Saturday against Portland in extra time. She talks about Black Lives Matter, NWSL, getting back to action, and so much more. United Soccer League's also returning to play. Breaking all that down is Scott Stewart, Director of Communications and Public Relations with United Soccer Leagues. And then we meet two more members of our 30 Under 30 class, Treg Lunger and Megan Link. We'll kick off Hercules style, Nicole Hercules, after this message from my presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. This is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. And as promised, we are pleased to be kicking off our show with Nicole Hercules. She is the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. She has been out front, she has been heard, and she is pushing all of us, all of us, to continue to stand up, kneel, whatever it takes to make sure that each and every one of us know, indeed, that black lives do matter. Nicole Hercules, an honor to kick off the show with you. How are you doing? Dean, I'm doing well. You know it's always a joy when I get to chat with you, so I always look forward to our conversations, my friend. I do, too, and it's uh, really been uplifting to see you pushing this issue forward. It needs to be pushed forward, and we cannot be silent. You have really, truly, when, when you think about that word advocate and advocacy, you are taking it even more serious than ever right now, right? Absolutely. We're having conversations with everyone, um, and we're really happy with the fact that people are actually being really intentional in what they're doing. It's more than a conversation at this point. People are thinking about what they can actually do to, to not just take a stance, but also to make some actionable plans on what we can do moving forward. So um, those are the things that encourage me. But, again, we're always going to be pleasantly persistent that we move things forward in a direction that all people of all races can be proud of you know, down the line. We can say we all contributed to this change in the sport that we all know and love. Part of that contribution is, for lack of a better word, Nicole, not being naive anymore. And I go back and I thank you for getting Kia McNeil on. But just little things like a reporter saying, boy, you really spoke well. You know, you don't need to say that or being in a setting where the white players don't feel comfortable and her saying, you know, this is my life every day. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just those little things that you've got to pay attention. You have to listen to, right? Yeah, the macroaggressions, we're all complicit in some ways, and I'm so glad that the veil has been lifted because these are things that we've been talking about for years. Um, so the little things like, oh, you're so well-spoken as though blacks in this country aren't supposed to speak proper English. You know, it's offensive on so many levels, but we have to sometimes take that 
turn the other cheek and continue to fight the battle because there's, there's bigger fish to fry. But, yeah, there's so many of those little things that we have to face day to day that people just haven't really been aware of or, you know, just haven't taken notice of. So it's an important time because people are recognizing it. And, again, people are being a little bit more thoughtful when they're making these these comments, especially in the game of soccer. And I know Crystal Dunn touched on it. You know, as hard as she works to be the, an intelligent and smart and creative player, you often hear reporters and commentators just speaking about her athleticism and her pace. Um, but she's so much more than that. Many of the black players are, and I'm just happy that we're having these discussions to stop stereotyping our players and having these implicit biases. Um, there's a lot of things that we need to address, but I think it's happening now, and it's the perfect time to kind of really be a little bit more aggressive in a, in a sweet way <laughs> to address these things. I'm glad you mentioned Crystal Dunn. Her teammate, Lynn Williams, who is such a graceful player, and I asked her directly about you know, combining with the Portland Thorns, taking a knee before the game and what it meant. And she mentioned that her emotions were similar to Casey Short's emotions. You saw that live on television. What was your feeling after seeing that? I'll tell you what. It was a strong visual commitment to start sports back up. And I think it was important, um, you know, to see all of the women who are about to play a game where it's going to be war with two teams that are going to wear two different colored uniforms. And you see all these women kneeling for the first game uh, together in the Black Lives Matter shirts, the coaching staff. So it was almost like they were battling these two pandemics of COVID and then also the racial injustices. It was a beautiful thing to see. And then even in that second game when you saw people who – were, you know, using their free will, whether they wanted to stand or whether they wanted to kneel, they still came together with those shirts saying, hey, we're going to fight this together. We're going to play each other in a second, but we're going to fight this together. And what a better way than sports to depict that in such a powerful way to have all everybody with those shirts on, the same colors, like it's one team coming together. It was a very powerful statement, but, again, we want action. So, you know, I, I – you know, the new commissioner, I want to talk to her. You know, we have a 1,000 black coaches across the globe, and this is a great start, but we want to impact change. So it was a great show of solidarity. It feels good. But uh, what will feel even better is when we can keep this same energy to address policy changes, the lack of black representation in the women, in the national women's soccer level. And then, you know, the shirts are cool, and they're great, and it was an amazing start, but it's a strong start, but it's not enough. We've got to do more. Feel like in your own way, you basically said, you know, whether you're kneel or stand, that doesn't really matter. It's whether you continue to drive this conversation to make a difference down the road in multiple levels, including, like you said, getting more black coaches hired, getting more blacks in big-time administrative roles as well in, in the game that we love, correct? Yeah, and especially in the National Women's Soccer League, because when I mean, we're having the, the conversation, and we had a great conversation with the MLS Academy, and I must say their director of coaching took a stance, and he had 166 of his coaches on a call. Um, we were able to speak with them, and what an amazing outpouring of support from that academy with real discussions on what they're planning to do. And we'd like to see the same with the National Women's Soccer League. Um, we love the MLS. We love the National Women's Soccer League. But the numbers aren't as, as good as we'd like to see when it comes to head coaches. There's never been a black head coach in the National Women's Soccer League. 
Um, we'd like, you know, so there's some things we want to address, but I think it's a great start. I think we're seeing some solidarity and we can have some real conversations. The first step is awareness, and I think we're there. And now it's time for more of a, con- a, a conversation with our group on what we can do to be actionable together. I think the most important thing is that for years, the Black Soccer Advocacy Group has been fighting this fight alone. And I think it's really a time where everyone's coming together and looking to address some of these issues. So, again, I love both the, the MLS, I love the NWSL, but um, what I'm really going to enjoy is how we challenge each other to do more to address this. Um, we as a group are simply here to help address this in a way that brings us forward and moves us to a better place uh, for the next generation. Finally, all of this coming during this unprecedented time with the pandemic, which seems to only be, you know, a multiplier in so many ways, of course, Nicole, um, and we're witnessing that every day with uh, more and more news that isn't exactly pleasant. One thing that mm-hmm. I hope you'll say is pleasant is the fact that United Soccer Coaches, Lynn Burley, Manuel, and the gang have said, Nicole, what do you need? We've got webinars. We've got podcasts. What else do you need? I feel like that's happening. I don't know that for a fact, but I certainly sense it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and let's let's be blunt. We had some tough conversations, you know, after the stance that was put out by United Soccer Coaches. We we had Kevin Sims, our president, Sue uh, Ryan, who's our advocacy chair, Lee Jarrell, who's our advocacy advocacy relations manager, on a call with our group. And I I I, my, my, I had my members just be honest. So I, I normally I try to soften the blow, but I'm like, guys, we got to just address this. You got to rip the band-aid up. That's the way we have true healing and we can move in the right direction. And then the call, the next call we had Lynn on and we're moving in a great direction. You know, they have been coming to our group, you know, with ways that we can do things. You probably see the, um, anti-racism resource page. They put a lot of time into making sure that they brought in um, the right people to kind of look and address what would, would be needed, and that's going to be something that continues to evolve. Again, it's not going to be something that's just up there. That was the United Soccer Coaches' way of saying, hey, we're here with you. We're, we're, we're figuring it out. We all are figuring it out together. None of us started racism, but we, at the end of the day, we have to have active steps in having a sustainable plan to attack racial injustices, racial inequity, systemic and institutional racism. And I'll tell you what, I love our coaching community so much. We have great people who want to make a difference. Um, And they're having the tough conversations, and sometimes it's not pleasant, but the best thing about our group of coaches is that we're open-minded enough to just do it because we know it's the right thing to do and we know it's going to move us in the right direction. Um, And it's important, but the action steps and really doing things that are going to close the gaps, it's really where we're at right now. So, we again, and I, I love that you talked about it earlier, it can't be just this flash in the pan, Dean, where we're just saying, man, this is something that's really trendy right now. It's cool and hip to wear these shirts, and I'm going to kneel, I'm going to stand, whatever it is. Like, let's actually do more than these, these big stances. Let's see some action. You know, we are on our way to doing new things. There's a new atmosphere, and there's great things that can happen when we come together. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. I, I feel like we can, we can do this together, Dan. I really do people want to join with you, how can they reach you? How can they get involved? Yeah, I'm very accessible. I think probably too accessible. So my cell phone number is out there. My email address is out there. Um, if you go to the United Soccer Coaches, Black Soccer Coaches advocacy page, you'll have um, the Black Soccer Coaches email address that's on there. Information will come straight to me. And, I'm, and for any stakeholder who's out there, I want you to talk to our group. 
Um, it's a safe space for us to have real conversations. So I know some people sometimes are uncomfortable about having this discussion. You don't have to be uncomfortable with our group. We all just want change. We understand that none of us are perfect in this. We're all complicit in some way. But we can come together and have some honest conversations that may be uncomfortable, but it will leave us, lead us all to a place of comfort where we can see the dignity of all human beings being addressed in this country that we all know and love. Um, so, again, we want all the stakeholders in this game, U.S. Soccer Federation, National Women's Soccer Team Commissioner, come find me. And then for all the players who are out there playing, just know that you have over a 1,000 black coaches who are supporting you. We're standing with you. We're going to address this together. We're stronger together. And then let's get at this. Let's, let's, let's change some things here. We have a really important opportunity to do this, and the time is now. One of those players, Lynn Williams, the active leading goal scorer in NWSL. She also talks about the Black Lives Matter movement. She's coming up next. Nicole Hercules, always treasured time with you. Thank you so much for kicking off the show. Thanks, Dean. And shout out to Lynn. Hope you have a great tournament. Thanks for speaking out. You know, we're here with you. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I want to thank Nicole Hercules for getting us started. And what a great message from her, as always, the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. I told her about Lynn Williams' comments. Lynn Williams, of course, the star forward for the North Carolina Courage. She is the active goal-scoring leader in NWSL now that Sam Kerr is no longer in the league. And she got the game winner against the Portland Thorns on Saturday. Saturday to open the NWSL Challenge Cup. Lynn Williams was able to join Anna, Witty, and myself as part of our coverage for the North Carolina Courage, and they were grateful enough to let us share that interview with you right here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We kick off by asking Lynn Williams what it meant to score that winner in extra time and get the victory over Portland. It was awesome. You know, I think that anytime I can score a goal and help my team win, it's amazing. Sam put it on a platter for me, so I had to score, but I was more happy because I missed a shot at the beginning of the game where I should have scored, so I was happy I could rectify that. I think that if we would have tied that game knowing that I had that opportunity and I missed, then I would have been beating myself up. We definitely had that goal coming in the 93rd minute. You had so many opportunities. You made yourself open for a lot of the game, so my question is, is you found yourself unmarked in the box in the six, what was the key to breaking down the Thorns' defense to find yourself in that position and then to obviously put it in the net? Sometimes in those moments we see glory and we're like, oh my gosh, it's so, I'm so open. How could this be? And it's so easy to sky it over or head it the wrong way. So in that moment, I just focused and said, like, stay calm, like, use your technique. And then, you know, the Thorns are good. Um, I think we just wore them down and kept wearing them down and 
And yeah, they just lost me in the box. I was actually so shocked to be so wide open. Moving on to the rookie in, in the back line, she was the only new addition really to your lineup. So I was curious what your thoughts were on Addison Merrick's performance Saturday. Oh, amazing. I I love Addie. I think she's the cutest person ever. Um, and, and I think that in the beginning of the game, she had a little bit of nerves, uh, especially going forward. And there was one moment when I said, Addie, you need to be more aggressive. And then she uh, slide tackled twice in the box. And I said, that is, that's the aggression I need. Don't be so risky. But, but thank goodness she timed it perfectly. And I think she had a, like an amazing um, rookie performance that you can ask for anything better. Um, the ball, like nothing else scored on her side. And I, and I think when she took those two slide tackles, it solidified in her mind that she's, uh, she's at the right level and she can do this. So um, I'm really proud of her and I'm happy for her. I can't wait to see where her career goes. Lynn, I'm glad you mentioned the right level. As you know, I'm a massive fan. I feel like there's nobody in the game that can play into their own space better than you and then run it down and run it down in minute one or minute 93 like you did. And now you are getting a well-deserved return call-up to the U.S. Women's National Team. I think you're the best forwards in the world. What does it mean to return with the USA? Oh, thank you. Um, it means a lot. You know, I think that I'm... I'm really proud of myself uh, just from being, you know, I was in with them for so long and then missing the World Cup. Um, you know, I, I think there was a moment where I kind of just said, you know what, uh, and like been so down on myself and just uh, been like, it's over. Like, I didn't make it and, and I can't make it again. And, and so to be able to get called back up and knowing that I put in all the hard work when the girls were at the World Cup in the NWSL, it means a lot to me. And so now going in again and being in, in that environment, uh, I'm just going to be myself and um, don't take it for granted. And, and just when you get your opportunity, make the most of it. Well, my fingers are crossed that you make the Olympic team because I believe you deserve to be on the Olympic team. In the meantime, there's more business at hand. As a woman of color, big moment for NWSL. Black Lives Matter. They do indeed matter. The statement that both teams made in that game, what does that mean to you, Lynn? Everything. I think that... You know, soccer is a beautiful game, and, and I love it, but there are some things that are bigger than soccer. And I think that uh, the, the movement and the moment that we're in right now is so much bigger than soccer. I think that you saw two teams that were unified, two teams that historically have had a huge rivalry. And um, just to be unified and seeing teammates support their black teammates, um, support me, um, and support the United States, the black culture, and saying, like, we are with you. We know that. And it, right now, America's not not doing enough for you, and, and we stand with you, and we kneel with you, and and challenging America to do better. So, um, I think it was a powerful statement. I think that going forward, you'll see more powerful statements, hopefully. And yeah, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of my team, and I'm really proud of the performance as well. Going off of what you said about kneeling, what was the conversation, or was there a conversation that your team had before that game, collectively, to make the decision to kneel, or? Yeah, take us into what that was like for you guys. Yeah, so since um, everything has started um, with George Floyd six weeks ago, um, we've had a lot of conversations about race and just an open forum and a lot of open conversations that I think this team really needed. And when it came to the National Anthem and being like, I think that uh, my team, there was a, a sense that you could see that a lot of people wanted to kneel. But just to go back from that, like we are obviously doing an auction for um, – the LGBT community and uh, and blacks as well, and the National Black Justice Coalition. So there's that, and then we wanted we're gonna we put out a statement saying that as um, 
soccer players for the courage we want to help our community more. So we're working towards things. So when it came to Neil and it came to the National Anthem, like I said, you could feel this um, sense that a lot of people wanted to, but we wanted to make it a message of the team and make sure everybody was on board um, and, and have, we didn't want anything to deter from the conversation at hand. And so we had a conversation about it, and we were like, what can we do? Can we all kneel? Is everybody comfortable kneeling? Because I know it's, it's a big deal. Like, it was really hard for me as well. I, I was crying and tearing up. Um, you know, this country is giving me a lot, but I'm challenging this country to say, like, we have to do better. And then when it came down to it, it was just like, you know what, we we are going to kneel. We feel like this is the right thing to do. Um, this We can't stand and say, like, this country has is united for all and freedom for everyone right now. And, um, you know, we obviously know people on the thorns and we wanted to make sure it was a joint statement and that it's bigger than soccer. So um, we wanted to make sure it was. So we had, there was a lot of conversations basically that went into it. Well, with that, to wrap it up, you said you were proud of your team and the thorns. I also got to believe there's a lot of pride in the NWSL, not just for supporting Black Lives Matter, but for being the first team in the sports league to get started during this pandemic, multiple levels of excitement, right, Lynn? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that NWSL has worked really hard to get this tournament going and us to be the first um, league back. You know, so far, everything's been really good. And um, I think we've seen when people have tested positive, everybody was really quick to jump onto that. And um, there's being safety precautions, so nobody else hopefully tests positive. And, and everybody's just really excited to be playing again. So that's fun. And then um, on the other side of uh, Black Lives Matter and that movement, um, you know, they've been very supportive. I hope that they continue to be supportive um, as, as the tournament goes on. So, yeah, I, I've been pre- pretty proud so far. All right. You know what it takes to win the Golden Boot. Last time I checked, you got to score one to score 20, right? So you're off and running to try to win another Golden Boot. What would that mean to you, Lynn? Yeah, I mean, that question I get asked a lot. Um, I think it would be really cool, but at the end of the day, I just want my team to win the tournament. Um, and if it's me putting the goal in the back of the net, great. If it's somebody else, then that's great, too. Um, I think our team is amazing. We have goal scorers from everywhere. So um, so it would be cool, but at the end of the day, I just want to win. Lynn Williams, you're the complete package. Phenomenal soccer player, phenomenal person. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Okay, Nicole Hercules and Lynn Williams talking Black Lives Matter and NWSL trying to make a difference. Lynn Williams, a super talent on the field as well. United Soccer Leagues, both USL Championship and League One will start July 11 and July 18 respectively. Coming up next, Scott Stewart, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for the United Soccer Leagues will join us to talk all things USL. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. If you listen to the podcast, you know that I wear it on my sleeve. I love the USL Championship. I love my work with North Carolina FC, formerly the Carolina Railhawks. USL Championship has announced that play will resume on Saturday, July 11th. 
They also announced the groupings. Here to break down all of that, we're pleased to be joined by Scott Stewart, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for the United Soccer League. Scott Stewart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Dean. It's always a pleasure to, to hear your voice and hopefully looking forward to hearing even more of it in the coming weeks as we return to play in the championship. I really appreciate that, Scott. I can't wait to get back up in the perch over at Wake Med Soccer Park and call Dave Sarakin's team against some talented teams in USL. First off, globally, obviously we've all been affected. It's been really uncharted waters as we deal with this pandemic and racial injustice, and it just seems a little bit crazy, but the NWSL, as you know, has stepped up, and they're starting to play, and now USL is pushing forward. We know what MLS is doing, but the focus today is on USL Championship. What can you share with us about all the deliberations and the back and forth on getting this done and making the decision to push forward? Yeah, no, that's a great question, Dean, and obviously um, it's, it's great to see NWSL back. More professional soccer across this country is what we're all waiting for as long as we can do it safely um, and in the right manner, right? So I think as it relates to the, the season format, um, you know, we have a tremendous Board of Governors group at the championship and League One level who um, were in constant deliberation and, and long and lengthy deliberation as to how best to return to play. But I give a lot of credit to Brett Louie and his operations team for helping to lead the scheduling process. Um, his team was responsible for what you've seen in terms of the regional subdivisions, what you will see in terms of a return to play schedule, and They've been putting in unbelievable hours on a daily basis to um, to assess those numerous return-to-play models. So I think we're all getting sick of Zoom. <laughs> I think we can say that safely, but, um, but credit to his team for constantly working through spreadsheets to finalize the model that you guys have seen in this uh, 16-game return-to-play in, in an unbalanced format. Um, and hopefully you'll be able to see even more as it relates to what the first weekend is going to look like and um, and what the rest of the season is going to look like as we approach that tentative, um, or, well, not so tentative, as we put, uh, return to that July 11 date, excuse me, if you will, that, um, that prospective return-to-play date, which we're all so very excited for. Well, it's interesting that you put it that way because there is a lot of speculation that maybe not everybody will be ready to roll on July 11th. What can you say about that, Scott? Yeah, and, and so I think that's obviously one of the most important parts of this as it relates to the Board of Governors vote and the unbalanced schedule. So for teams that are not able to host games in their markets, they will be looking at traveling away. And um, I was on a on a podcast with the, the Indy 11 folks yesterday, and they asked the same question, you know, what does this look like? Well, for some teams, it'll look like hosting 9, 10, 11, even up to 12 home games as opposed to 8. And for other teams, that obviously means you may see yourselves on the road a little bit more. But what's important is obviously that we're returning safely. We're prioritizing and following the health and state or the health um, and safety protocols at the local and state levels on a continuous basis. And for us, the opportunity to be the first professional league in the United States to return to play in our home venues is a is a huge um, a huge plus for us, and obviously to welcome fans anywhere where it is safe to do so, it's a big win as we all look at the the new normal, but hopefully um, not a, not an elongated new normal, if you will. And is there any team in the USL, whether Eastern Conference or Western Conference, that have definitely said they're not playing no matter what, or is it everybody's on board, everybody's all in? 
Oh, that's the beauty of it. So all 35 teams in the championship will be in action from west to east, and that's sort of um, it was it was kind of interesting to watch the groups play out because on the communication side, you know, I wasn't I wasn't super involved into how all of this is going to look. I've normally handed a handed a, a press release or handed a sheet of paper that says this is what it's drawn up as. So to look at the Renos and the Sacramentos all the way out on the west coast in Group A, all the way down to Group G and H, where you know North Carolina FC. Charlotte, Miami, Tampa Bay. Um, it's great to have everybody back in the fold, and it's, it's fantastic that we are able to press ahead with the resumption of play um, in just a, a, a couple of weeks here now. One of the great things about USL Championship over the last several years is they are growing exponentially. It's been incredible. How has this pandemic affected expansion plans, Scott Stewart? That's another fantastic question, Dean. So one of one of the uh, really really cool parts of my role at the championship is I am heavily involved. I, the primary contact, if you will, for the championship side of public relations, but I've also been able to help and assist on the expansion front. And so what you've seen here is obviously you've got groups like Queensboro FC that have been announced that are looking at the the best possible target date for them to launch their side. Um, we've got some other prospective championship markets. You've seen Des Moines talk about. You've seen a project in Pawtucket talk about. But really, our focus continues to be on on League One as well, and um, strengthening League One, getting League One to a place where we've got owners in in both leagues in the right stadiums with the right infrastructure to make sure the quality on the field is consistently at a good standard. We've all been affected by this, and and no one would um, no one would ever step up to a microphone and claim otherwise. But it is been tremendously encouraging to us that these talks have continued in a very positive way, even if we're looking at a little bit of a timetable shift as it relates to no one project in particular, but just the overall assessment of things. Um, we have not seen a decrease in interest as it relates to coming into the championship or coming into to League One, um, and that's a positive for both leagues as we look to rebuild and, and really strengthen not only the on-field presence, but just like you mentioned so kindly, Dean, the growth off the field and, and um, sort of seeing ourselves in multiple new markets over the next few years as we build into the 2026 World Cup here in North America. Fantastic update as we're here with Scott Stewart, Director of Communications and Public Relations for the United Soccer League. You mentioned that League One. Get us up to date on League One's start date and what their plans are. Yeah, so League One is going to kick off their season. It was honestly almost more of a bummer for League One, right? I feel like we felt it in both leagues. Um, and I, my colleague, Sarah Cardamone, who does public relations for that league, is is incredible what she does. But I felt bad, right, Dean? I got a little taste of, of North Carolina FC when I saw you guys host Louisville in Week One. And poor League One did not even get a chance to, to kick things off there. So they are looking at July 18 as their return to play date. And, and equally as encouraging, they will have everybody in the fold on their side as well, and we get to see the launch of clubs like Union Omaha, who are new to the fold in, in 2020, as well as the return of some really fantastic clubs and some very fantastic like community-based clubs. You've got South Georgia Tormenta FC, the Greenville Triumph, among others. Um, it's encouraging for us to see League One continue to follow in the championship's footsteps and return to play just a, a week after the championship does on Saturday the 18th. Part of the excitement of the landscape of soccer in the United States is the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. And as you know, I've been lucky enough to have a call for a lot of big wins over the L.A. Galaxy and other MLS teams. It's uh, one of the things that I think all of these USL teams look forward to and 
over the years the success that the USL has had against MLS teams, as you know, Scott, has been phenomenal. Can you get us up to date on the plans for that? Are they still going to try to get a U.S. Open Cup in this year, or are they going to push it? Yeah, that's a great question. I honestly, I'm not sure what the Federation's plans are. I've, I've heard that, obviously, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup being the longest-running professional tournament in this country has huge significance, right? And we look back even during world wars, this tournament was able to continue. But obviously we're dealing with extenuating circumstances like we've never dealt with before. And so I I feel for the Federation as they have to sort of look at the decision-making process. You've seen our our president, Jake Edwards, suggest that um, we would love to still take part, but obviously we need to prioritize from the USL side what the return-to-play model for us looks like. But, I mean, listen, I would never diminish or want to rob the Open Cup of the magic it produces. I was lucky enough to to be at Louisville City FC when they took down the New England Revolution and earned a trip up to Toyota Stadium. I was with Indy 11 when they earned a trip up to Chicago to play the fire. And it's an incredible experience, and obviously I think we're all hopeful that this tournament is able to be picked back up. Um, it's just a, a question of, of if the Federation deems that possible and who the participating clubs would be um, as we sort of navigate this this ever-changing and fluid landscape. Fair answer indeed, Scott. Finally, fill in the blank on this final answer. As USL pushes forward, League One pushes forward with July 11th and July 18th start dates respectively, knowing that you're going to handle all of the COVID-19 restrictions, for lack of a better word, and follow all that proper protocol. When it does return, people should watch USL and League One because why, Scott? Opportunity, Dean. Honestly, opportunity. Um, We're talking about a a 35-team league in the championship, a 12-team league in League One. This is an opportunity for communities, whether it is in stadiums where possible or on their TV screens through an incredible relationship we have with ESPN Plus and ESPN in general, This is an opportunity for fans, not just in those 47 markets that we have across the country, but fans of professional sport to see what lower division soccer looks like, to see the quality in the championship, to see the quality in League One, to really familiarize themselves with what is going to be, um, of course, a unique circumstance. We might see some banners in the stands. We might see some fans in the stands. Uh, probably more banners, i.e. what we've seen in, in leagues across um, across Europe, Germany, Spain, Italy, England. Um, but it is. It's an opportunity for us to really come back and make a statement and show how quality the play is, but it's an opportunity for us to just showcase the beautiful game. And like I said, um, more professional soccer in this country and as quickly as it can return. Soccer is very much on the upswing right now. I don't want to sound... You know, two men in blazery, where it's uh, the sport of the future since 1970. But I really feel like um, soccer is is truly on the upswing in this country, and there's huge growth potential as we approach a, a World Cup here, not only in the states but in, in Canada and New, or in Mexico in 2026. And um, the USL is obviously very, very happy to be a part of that. Indeed, and the USL deserves to be recognized for all they've achieved. As we wrap it up, if people want to learn more about USL Championship and League One, what's the website they can go to, Mr. Stewart? Yeah, absolutely. So just uslchampionship.com and uslleague1.com and our social channels, um, USL Championship on Twitter, on Instagram, USL League One on Twitter and Instagram. 
Um, it is truly a, a very unique league. And like I said, Dean, we're looking forward to, to hearing your voice when North Carolina FC returns, and we're just looking forward to, to seeing professional soccer back on our screens and right in front of our eyes very soon. Get ready for a little bit of how about North Carolina FC, right, Scott? Always, always. Got to put it in the net, though, my friend. Got to put it in the net. That's, that's what we're dreaming on. We're looking forward to it. Great point. We were not able to score against Louisville. That would be the biggest issue for the team this year. Scott, great job. The Director of Communications and Public Relations for the United Soccer League. Thanks so much for getting us up to speed on the start dates and all the protocol. Really appreciate the time you spent with us, Scott. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dean. It's always a pleasure. Okay. Nicole Hercules off the top, the chair for the Black Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. A visit with Lynn Williams, the star for North Carolina Courage's NWSL, is back in action at the Challenge Cup in Utah. And then covering all things United Soccer League's great work by Scott Stewart, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for the United Soccer Leagues. We wrap up the show by meeting two more members of our 30 Under 30 class, and that starts after this message. United Soccer Coaches is proud to announce that Verizon has signed a multi-year partnership that will make the technology giant the official innovation, wireless technology, and 5G partner of the association. Verizon will become the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches College and High School Rankings as well as, quote, from the training ground, end quote, weekly educational email toolkit curated by the United Soccer Coaches Education Department. Verizon's support of United Soccer Coaches will allow the association to continue Continue its mission of providing programs and services that enhance, encourage, and contribute to the development and recognition of soccer coaches, their players, and the game we love through the pillars of advocacy, education, and service. Thank you, Verizon, the newest partner of United Soccer Coaches. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, getting to know two more members of our 30 under 30 class. Up next, Treg Lunger, who is the assistant men's soccer coach at Grove City College. That's in Pennsylvania, home to the Wolverines. And we welcome Treg in. Treg, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Treg, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us about uh, where you grew up, what club you started playing with, and Walk us up to your decision to go to Malone, which started at NAIA and then transferred over to D2. Walk us through your path if you can. So I grew up in a small town in Ohio called Columbiana. It's about 30 minutes south of Youngstown. Sleepy little town. Grew up playing rec league soccer mostly. Didn't transition into travel, honestly, until I was around 13 and 14. And even then, it wasn't a big regional league. I was traveling maybe an hour at most to play games. For most of my my youth sports career, I grew up playing basketball, and that was my main focus, honestly, being a, a three-sport athlete. And so for me, I did a lot of AAU, but that usually fueled everything year-round from soccer in the fall to basketball in the winter, track and field in the, the spring, and then soccer would come around again in the summer. So just being active all year round was, was mainly how I continued to play as a soccer player. It wasn't until my high school career that I really started to focus on soccer as far as a passion for me and moving forward, and even more so until my junior, senior year that I really decided that I wanted to try and pursue playing at the collegiate level. Great to be with Craig Lunger and 
the collegiate level. So you chose Malone. Remind us where Malone is and why you picked Malone. Malone University is in Canton, Ohio, about 50 minutes from where I grew up. When I started looking at colleges in my junior year, Malone stuck out for a couple of reasons. One, my brother was already attending. So for me to be there in a non-soccer setting, just getting to know the campus and the people around there was something easy for me to do. Another big part of it for me is the faith piece. Um, So Malone University is a Christian university, and that's an important part of who I am and what I'm looking to do, not only with my career path and my calling, but it was a big part for my soccer decision as well. Another thing that I really enjoyed about Malone is that they had a really large international base. My family has done a lot with foreign exchange students over the year. Uh, Ever since I was, I think, 12, my family has been bringing in foreign exchange students to, to give them a American education experience built in with some cultural pieces as well. So ever since I was 12, there's always been somebody from a different country living in our house, you know, from Germany to Russia, Belarus, China, Georgia. So for me, being exposed to that international base was something I was looking for, and I really enjoyed that cultural piece at Malone. I like that little touch you said about your background and then knowing that your family were bringing these young men and women over shows a lot about your family and I think it's fair to say that you come from a pretty solid family. You must be pretty proud of your parents. I am. I uh, I can't say enough good things. Just the experience that I was afforded growing up, being where I was, I never, you know, wanted for, for anything in the sense that my parents were always willing to do what they needed to for me to be successful. And even till this day, um, you know, with my co- coaching career being into my late 20s, being willing to help out when they can in order for me to to continue to pursue my dreams is is a big thing for me, so I'm super thankful for them. Trey, part of your dreams was your education. You got a bachelor's degree in exercise science, and then you also got a master of arts degree in organizational leadership. When you're getting those degrees, is coaching at the forefront, or did it just morph into coaching? Yeah, so at first, uh, exercise science was just the basic pathway for me to get into my DPT, my doctorate of physical therapy. That was my original goal coming out of Malone. And so when I finished my undergraduate work, getting into grad school was the next step. Finding a way to do that and it timely manner and also being financially conscious was something that I was trying to do with my family. And so as a result, I ended up taking a gap year between my graduating year and when I would start my DPT program. Joined the workforce to try and save money and figure out how I was going to be able to pay for for my DPT, and as a result, started looking at graduate assistantship programs, started coaching club locally in the Canton area. I was afforded an opportunity by an alum who was working with a local club in Canton who just let me come and basically be his assistant and, you know, roll the ball out, pick up cones, and be a positive influence around kids. And as a result, it led me towards pursuing a graduate assistant position, and I was actually blessed to be able to return to my alma mater the following year as, as a GA and start coaching full-time with them while also being afforded the opportunity to get my master's degree in organizational leadership. Within that time frame of about a year, most coaching club full-time as well, had two teams and really started to develop a love for the game from the touchline, so much so that I, I knew it was starting to change my perspective on what I wanted out of a career path, and so I started pursuing it more passionately, getting coaching badges, things like that, pouring myself into the community a little bit more, and it's kind of just been downhill ever since. Great to be with Treg Lunger. Treg, you've had some amazing moments on the soccer field and as a coach. If you could pick 
your best moment as a player and your best moment or memory so far as a coach, what would you pick, Craig? That's a tough question. I've had some wonderful moments as a player based solely out of the opportunity to get to know and meet some incredible people and have some friendships that are very important and key to me till this day. But even more so, I think, as a coach, being able to, to form relationships with mentors specifically would probably be my, my favorite moment thus far. One of my, my first coaching mentors was an assistant at Malone by the name of Stefan Ostergren. was a, a men's player at the University of Akron underneath Caleb Porter, and just his insight into the game and how he poured into me as a person was extremely important to me and helped push me down my coaching path right now. So to be able to, to build relationships with important people like that, I think would be the best thing for me. And I think it goes to, for me as a coach, people ask me what type of coach I am, I think I would say I'm a relational coach. You know, for me, the best moments come sitting down in the office, talking to a, you know, a young man about the things that they're going through in their playing career, but academically, socially as well. And so to be able to build those relationships, I think, are the most rewarding things for me as a coach on the touchline. When you think about rewarding, what's been the most rewarding part of being a part of this 30 under 30 class, Trey? I think the intentional mentorship has been the single best thing about it. Brett Simon has been paired with me for the last six months now, seven months now, and to, you know, have the insight of a pillar in, in this community and someone who has collegiately been able to experience things that I will probably never be able to, but to have the insight to that, I think I'm extremely blessed to have that and to have someone that I know I can call and bounce soccer ideas off of, but also talk to them about what's going on and the scope of the soccer world in general and talk about life and have someone that who has walked through this coaching career for a number of years and as I'm just still starting mine to be able to have someone to, to be able to, to continue to grow alongside with, I think, has been the biggest thing. I would say definitely the intentional mentorship for me. Craig, you're a fascinating young man. I love that you're grounded, and I can tell that great things are going to happen to you. And I also like the fact that before we came on the air, you talked about the sleepy little town in Ohio. I'm from a sleepy little town in Ohio, and you said you naturally drifted toward Cleveland Athletics. You're a three-sport star. The Browns haven't been able to do it. The Indians came close. When LeBron came back and won that title, not sure how old you were. It wasn't that long ago. What did that mean to you? Yeah, 2016, I actually was downtown for the parade. I believe it was heading into my second year of my uh, graduate assistant position. So I think it was a wonderful thing for Cleveland. I can remember hearing stories from my grandfather and other elders in the community talking about how important the sports history and culture in, in northeastern Ohio is and it has its ups and downs and for LeBron and the Cavs to be able to bring a championship to Cleveland after such a long period of time I think meant a lot to the area and so for us it was an exciting thing to be a part of and I, I was definitely excited to be downtown for that event. Craig Lunger, another great member of our 30 under 30 class and as we told you in the beginning he is with the Grove City College Wolverines, part of the men's soccer coaching staff, and big things coming for Treg Lunger. Treg, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. We appreciate you and all the members of the 30 Under 30 class, including our final visit. Megan Link is up next after this message. Team 
Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. My name is Dean Linky, and now I'm joined by Megan Link, no E, who is part of the Great <laughs> 30 Under 30 program, entering her second season as the assistant coach for Grand Valley State, one of the soccer powers for women's soccer, as she'll enter her second season this fall. This after being a head coach at her alma mater, Southwest Baptist University, a Division II institution competing in the Mid-America Intercollegiate Athletics Association. Megan Link, no E. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Forever be linked together by that name, right? I know, right? It's a great name. Do you have any idea of your heritage, if there was ever an E on there and it got dropped, or do you know anything about that, or has it always just been L-I-N-K? As far as I know, it's always been L-I-N-K. Well, tell me about that name and your mom and dad. Like, where'd you grow up? Tell us about your family, Megan. Yeah, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. So born and raised in St. Louis, grew up there. Both my parents are from there as well. So most of my family is all still based in St. Louis. And it was a great place to grow up. Very rich traditions in soccer in St. Louis as well. So I had a great place to grow up and, and fall in love with the sport of soccer. Yeah, rich in tradition and soccer might be the understatement of the year. I think St. Louis is the true soccer town, USA. Great soccer players, men and women all over the place, right? Yeah, absolutely. You decided to play goalkeeper. Was that always your position, or did you also play some field positions? Yeah, I was actually pretty much only a field player throughout my club career. I was kind of just the backup goalkeeper on my club team growing up in my youth days because I wasn't afraid to dive or have a ball flying at my face. And then as I got a little bit older going into, you know, eighth grade and going to high school and ninth grade, I had some coaches tell me I really should be considering transitioning to a goalkeeper full-time because I kind of just had some natural instincts and abilities. And, you know, it was kind of it was later on, you know, around – about 14, 15 years old where I started really dedicating to that position full-time, and it really took off, obviously. ended up playing the rest of my club career and high school career and then college. Well, you were legit in college, a four-year starter at Southwest Baptist University, the Bearcat. What made you pick Southwest Baptist? You know, it's funny. The, the recruiting process back when I was – going through it was was not nearly as intense as it is now. I kind of just wanted to go somewhere where I had a chance to play right away, and I just like to compete and play, so I chose somewhere where my parents and family could still go to games, and I was able to compete for a starting spot right away, and obviously I was able to do that, and I had a great time being able to play all four years and really grew and developed as a goalkeeper. Well, and then you decided you wanted to keep playing after college, which I totally dig, and I love Iceland. I was in Iceland with the U.S. men's national team in the 90s. We were in Reykjavik. Place is awesome. Talk about your experience playing professionally in Iceland. Yeah, it was amazing. It's funny. I was over there in Iceland a little bit right before the country really kind of got all this hype as a place to visit. I remember when I was talking to people about signing a contract to play over there. They were just like, where's Iceland? 
So I lived right outside outside of Reykjavik in a town called Valdeir. Played for the team Astorelding, who at the time were in the Premier League and the Pepsi League. And it was a great experience. A whole different culture, 24 hours of daylight. It was fun to train every day, play games, you know, every five days and travel all over the country and be able to play the different teams in the Premier League and obviously see a beautiful country at the same time. And I really grew as a player, being able to, having to play with players from all over the world speaking different languages and a little bit different style of play and definitely different weather and fields. So it was a definitely a great experience for me. So in 2014, you decide that it's time to head back to the States and you decide that you want to get into coaching. You served as the goalkeeper coach for the Missouri Youth Soccer Association and ODP Soccer for one year before joining the staff at Quincy University. What uh, was the driving force to coming back to the United States and getting into coaching? Yeah, so I came back to the U.S., and I was in this transition period if I wanted to keep playing or what I kind of wanted to do. I still at that time in 2014 did not know that coaching was in my future. Uh, I knew it would always be, I would be involved with coaching at some point, but I never, I still did not know in 2014 that it would eventually be my career path. I was actually called into the Houston Dash preseason camp in March of 2014, and at the same time was offered an opportunity to interview for that Quincy job, and, and kind of was navigating both at the same time, and I was offered the Quincy job and just had a very, very strong gut feeling about it. So I followed it, and it's turned into an amazing career so far. So walk us through what happened after Quincy, how you ended up back at your alma mater, how you got the head coaching job, and then your decision yeah. to go to Grand Valley State. Yeah, I was at Quincy for about a year and a half and was expecting to stay there a little bit longer. The head coach I played for at SVU left, and a few people had reached out to me to consider applying for it. So, you know, I just figured I would go for it and at least get the experience interviewing for a head coaching job. That I felt like that's the minimal I'll get out of it. And so when I was offered it, I decided to go ahead and take that leap of faith. And even though I was young, young at the time, 23, I figured I could just, you know, kind of jump in the deep end and learn, learn as much as I can as a head coach and what it's like to run a program and have everything in your hands. And then I kind of reached a point after four seasons, I was ready to move on and, and push myself and get involved in a more established program with really rich traditions. And I was really looking for somewhere that I could grow as a coach and also know somewhere I could offer what I have in terms of my experience as well. And when that opportunity opened up at Grand Valley, I was super excited. And I knew that I was going to come here and be able to learn and also provide what I know. And, and it's been very exciting to be a part of a you know an amazing program as Grand Valley State is. And I've learned a ton under Jeff Hostler as well, and it's been great so far. Well, we love the Haas on this program. We've interviewed him several times because we always interview championship coaches, and he's won a few there. And before him, Dave Diani, who I now see a yeah. lot with the Hawkeyes on the Big Ten Network. i got to ask you, Megan, how hard was it when you went from being the top boss, everything ran through you, to now having a boss in the Haas? How hard the transition was that? You know, it was actually a lot easier than I expected because Jeff knew that I had that experience. So he wanted to have me right away have a ton of different roles. And so I'm having, I have a lot of similar 
roles that I was already doing as a head coach. He is able to delegate responsibilities really well and, and puts his faith in us with our roles. And I still have a ton of responsibility with all different areas of the program, within training, outside of training. So I really feel like the transition was very smooth, and Jeff's been a great mentor as well through it, and I've been able to grow and also be able to contribute, and so I've had an absolutely amazing transition in, in time so far. Megan, speaking of mentors, who is your mentor with the 30 Under 30 program? Yeah, my mentor is the head coach at the University of Miami, Ohio, Courtney Spearman. And that's been great as well, just being able to communicate with a female head coach that's in, in the Division One field right now and being able to kind of pick her brain. Especially during COVID, we've had some good conversations on different ideas to stay connected with the team. So it's been great so far. Let me ask you to go back down memory lane again. Pick your best memory as a player and your best memory as a coach so far in your young career. Ooh, that's, those are hard ones. <laughs> best memory as a player. I just think I look back and love stepping on the field and competing. I don't, I don't think I have one specific game or one specific memory. I just really enjoy just the whole experience of stepping on the field with your teammates and competing in all your games and being able to have that rewarding experience and stay healthy and do that all four years. I was lucky to be able to stay as healthy as possible and compete in almost every game we played in. And I just had a rewarding experience being able to do that. And, you know, as a coach, some of the best experiences, obviously we've had success here at Grand Valley, but I think some of the best experiences are players reaching back to you after you've coached them and just talk about the different ways you've impacted their lives. To me, those are conversations I'll remember forever. Of course, I'll remember games here and there. I'll remember the accomplishments that teams that I've been a part of have, but definitely the most rewarding is going to be a couple years later. And I'm finally getting that point. I'm going into year seven where I'm getting old enough where players have been out of the game for a couple of years that they're starting to come back to me and call me, text me, and talk about the different ways that I was able to help them, whether it was on the field, off the field. And for sure that that makes you feel the best. Megan Link, the best part about being a member of the 30 Under 30 and affiliated with United Soccer Coaches? The best thing, I think, is just the connections that you get to make with coaches that I may never have crossed paths with. I've been able to meet coaches in you know, other parts of the college game, on the men's side, of course, on the women's side, in the club game, the high school game. I've been connected with other coaches, mentors, and that's really been the best part is being able to meet other people, being able to pick each other's brains, have good conversations on what they're doing, what I've been a part of, and being able to network and stay connected with those people that we get to meet because really that's what it's all about is the community aspect and of coaches and, and being able to help each other grow and push each other to be better. Finally, Megan Link, I'll ask you to fill in the blank on this question. Megan Link is a member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. Megan Link was a standout goalkeeper in college. She played professionally in Iceland. Now she's part of one of the best staff at Grand Valley State. But away from the soccer field, Megan Link can also be known for or loves to do what? Away from the soccer field, I love to be with family. I know that we're so busy as coaches, so being able to see family and I have a dog, I love my dog, I love to be able to just spend time with them outside of my soccer family. I think family is some of the most important 
people in your life. They are part of who I am and to my core. So, you know, when I'm able to step away from anything I have soccer duty-wise, I definitely like to spend time with them and visit them when I can. I will tell you that when I'm booking hotels or sometimes reservations, I'll just drop the E and go with Dean Link just because it's easier to understand. <laughs> so from Dean Link to Megan Link, it was an honor to have you on the program. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I want to thank Megan and all of our guests, as well as Sean Chevrolet, Mike Knipper, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches for each and every one of them. I'm Dean Linky. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next week.